So good to see everybody here today. Um, fall is in the air. Yes, you feel it. Oh boy. But, but the foliage, you know, the trees, they're looking pretty. They're looking very pretty. Um, who is it, Tim and, no, who was just, somebody was just in, oh, our neighbors, sorry. Our neighbors were just in Vermont. Tim's going, where, where's Tim and Renee? Where's Tim and Renee? There you are. Tomorrow's the anniversary, 42 years, 42 years. And so they're going camping. You know they were meant to be together because to nobody else does that sound okay. 40 for Anna, for our 42, I hope we're not camping. Oh, but I hope you guys have a great time. I hope you have a great time. Um, tomorrow, for those who don't know, we got a big day for our church. Tomorrow, we are moving our offices. Uh, for those who, we have offices just across the street in the building uh, right there on the second floor. Been there for the last four years. Our lease is up, and uh, we're not moving far. We're moving across the hall. Uh, it's going to be nice, uh, a little bit bigger space, and... Uh, some other things going on there, some opportunities that we're excited about. Uh, you'll see the signs there moving from 202 to 205. Uh, so that's our, our new thing. So I want to invite you to come out and help. Um, we will maybe have some, I don't know, more bagels. I don't know. We'll, I'll, I, maybe we could do donuts or stuff like that. But just come on out. If you're able to help us, we would appreciate uh, the hands. Uh, it's been great to have that office space. Looking forward to the new office space. I remember my very first office, uh, it was at, like first real office, uh, first full-time job in ministry. It was in a house that had been converted to an office building, so my office was a bedroom, formerly a bedroom. So it was interesting, very interesting space, like the bathroom had a shower. It's kind of weird, like I don't think anybody ever took a shower while they were in the office, but they could have if they wanted to. Um, and on the wall in that first office, I had a framed poster that I had received from my dad. Uh, I, he had had it in his office, and he wasn't used anymore. I thought it was pretty cool. It was a piece of art by an artist named Scott Mutter, and here's a picture of it. Uh, there you go. And so if anybody knows Scott Mutter, he had these, like, realistic, you know, he was like Photoshop before it was a thing. Um, and it had these words underneath the image. So if, the, if you can see the image, it's like a, the inside of a cathedral, but he, like, superimposed roads, like a roadway over it, so, like, people are driving like down the aisle. It'd be kind of cool if you had cars like coming through here, but they're little. So it's just like this. And he had this quote underneath it, and it said this. We live under a vast canopy woven by the ages. Isn't that cool? We live under a vast canopy woven by the ages. I remember feeling like that was so deep, so thought-provoking. It made me feel like mature, like, yeah, I've got like, I've got like deep art on my wall. You know, like, this is a really, I was mature, I'm grown up, like, I got a real office now, I got art that, like, makes people think, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good about myself. Um, but the idea, the concept behind it is that we live constantly under the canopy of culture, of history, that that is all always kind of surrounding us. Uh, you know, when we talk about culture, what, what, is, what is culture? Like, what is culture really? Some people say, you know, support bacteria. It's the only culture some people have, right? All right, that's, that's terrible. Um, what is culture? A writer by the name of Walter Lippmann, uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but it's interesting, he's the guy that kind of coined the phrase Cold War, uh, the word stereotype. He kind of gave definition to those words. And he said this, culture is the name for what people are interested in, their thoughts, their models, the books they read, and the speeches they hear, their table talk, 
gossip, controversies, historical sense, scientific training, the values they appreciate, the quality of life they admire. A guy named Reinhold Niebuhr, with a name like that, you know he's smart. He said, culture comprises language and habits and ideas, beliefs, customs, social organization, inherited artifacts, technical processes and values. It's all the things that make up how we experience life. That's what culture is. It's all that we understand about life. And I really, really like how simply the author named Andy Crouch says it. If you want to read a good book, read his book called Culture Making. Uh, brilliant, brilliant book. But he said this, culture is what we make of the world. Culture is what we make of the world. Boils it down. And he means it in, in like two senses. It means what we make of the world in terms of goods. Like what do you make? Like when you make something with this world, that is culture. You have taken something and you've, you've made something with it. In terms, and, then, and then it also has the idea of like what you make of the world in terms of ideas. Like what do you make of this? Like, what do you think about this? What do you understand about this? So culture is both what we make of the world and what we make of the world. I, I think it's just such a simple, but like, man, that's such a great definition. The food that you eat is part of culture. The clothes that you're wearing is part of culture. The music that you listen to, the systems that we are part of, the fact that there are streetlights and roads and cars and gas stations, it's all part of culture. Some parts of culture are good, some are not. Culture is what defines much of the world we live in. We are in culture, and culture is powerful. Right? It shapes us. It forms us. The words you use, that's part of culture. You've learned those words. You've been taught those words. You've learned them. The thoughts you have, the concept of life and death, the concept of what is success, what we, what we get angry about, how we, how we recognize love, what we call beauty, all of those things are are cultural. So I was, came across something the other day uh, that it used to be that the, the hallmark measure of female beauty was a little mustache. If they had a mustache, man, that was like the epitome of beauty. And, you, and you're going, oh, okay, cultural. It's cultural. Because every culture has unique values and things, and so culture defines. So if you grew up in that culture, that's what you, that's what you value. We all live under a canopy of culture, and actually not just one, multiple cultures. Multiple cultures, right? So many of them. That's why we're called a pluralistic society. There's so many values, so many different cultural systems that we are under. Your family has its own culture, yes? You grew up in families, and it's like, you know, and as I go through premarital counseling with couples all the time, I'm like, yep. Just so you know, you're coming from two different contexts. We need to talk about the culture because you're going to have some culture shock when you get together. When you actually live together, you're going to realize, oh, that's not how we do Christmas. That's not what we do for birthdays. No, you know, dishes. How do we do dishes? All right, culture. How do we do conflict resolution? Culture. Culture. You have a family culture. Each town has a culture. Each neighborhood within a town has a culture. Our vocations, what you do for a job, there's a culture that goes along with that. You know, you just tell somebody, you know, I, I know from being married to someone who was an army brat, you just mentioned you were serving. Oh, culture, that culture comes out, military family culture, right? There's, there's something there. There's a commonality, an understanding there. Sports teams have cultures, right? Philly fans, everybody knows they're terrible. It's a culture. It's part of the culture. 
New Jersey has a culture, right? Pizza, bagels, the shore, the turnpike, the parkway, right? We've got culture all over the place. Even the church has culture. There's a church culture. I grew up in it, but there's depends on which church culture you grew up in. Each one is unique. You know, we've got uh, church dinners. That's a thing. Like church, din- like like fellowship dinners, right? Like in the in the fellowship hall. What's a fellowship hall? Well, that's what you would know that if you went to church, right? We know what those dinners are like. Well, I know what the ladies in the kitchen like. They run the show. They're in charge, right? You understand about those. You, you sit in, we have church seats. We call them pews, right? We wear church clothes, and we sing church songs, and we follow a church calendar, and we talk with church language. There's a culture that comes with church, with all that's been going on in our world, right? Culture is sort of just, oh, it's exposing itself there. With all that's been going on in Israel, I've been following the news, and I heard someone ask what it, somebody else what it means to be Jewish. And the answer was powerful. They said it means to live with a sense of memory, an awareness of history. See, we live under a vast canopy woven by the ages. The question is this, why are we talking about this today? Why am I talking about culture? What's this really about? See, many people grow up in the church or live in the church or come into the church and find themselves in tension with the culture. We, we feel this sense of like, am I supposed to resist this? Am I supposed to oppose the worldly culture around us? Is culture bad? Is, are those elements somehow in competition with the gospel, with living according to faith? Afraid it will corrupt us. So, so some just say, I want nothing to do with culture. I'm going to insulate myself. I'm going to create a separate culture that's, that's in a bubble almost. And I'm going to live over here because my faith says I can't. I, that's, that's not part of what life following Jesus should look like. Whereas others say, no, we're all in. We are part of this culture. They embrace it. They are fully immersed in culture, fully living in it, almost so much so that you can't tell that they're a believer at all. You can't tell they're following God because they look so much like the culture of the age. Others say, no, we're here to change culture, to transform it. We're here to to introduce something new. We're we're, we're here to, to bring about change in this. So the question is this, who's right? I will give you the answer. Ready? It's yes. That's the answer. Um, when people pressure us to do things that are conviction, that violate our convictions, when people pressure you to do something that violates your convictions, when culture presses upon you to violate your convictions, how should you respond? Should you pull your kids out of school if they're being taught things you don't agree with? How involved should you be in politics? in local leadership, in PTAs, and on boards. How does your faith interact in those spaces? How do you respond when culture demands opinions and statements from you? When it says, hey, take a side in this issue. When culture says, hey, I need to know where do you stand on this, how, does, how should we respond? If we could change all the governmental laws to reflect the laws of Jesus, if we could make this a Christian world with Christian rules, Would that solve everything? Can we change culture by just changing the laws? See, being a person of faith, knowing that we live with eternity in mind and serve a God who transcends this world, with all that in mind, how are we supposed to live here and now in this culture? 
in all of these myriad cultures. Author Oz Guinness pinpoints this tension, and he wrote this. So interesting. He says this, the church is called to be against the world, yet for the world. That's tension. Other people have said, you know, we're supposed to be in it and not of it. We're supposed to love this world, yet not lose sight of the brokenness of this world. So what does that look like? How do we as believers live in this world? So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about our posture and our approach to culture. And that perhaps there's not just a one-size-fits-all. I can't just say, hey, just do this all the time and we're good. It's not just avoid it. It's not just immerse in it. It's not just here to change it. There's different things that we're supposed to be doing. So we're going to look at those over the next few weeks and attempt to answer that question. Before David became a king, he was just a wandering soldier, a natural leader. People just followed him. So he was not king yet. He had been anointed king. He was supposed to be king, but he wasn't. Saul was still the king, and Saul wasn't a great king. And so people were just kind of gravitating towards David, following him. And uh, the writer of Chronicles made a list of those who followed him at this time. It'll be on the screen. First Chronicles 12.23, it says this. These are the numbers of armed warriors who joined David at Hebron. They were all eager to see David become king instead of Saul, just as the Lord had promised. So it lists the men from the 12 tribes of Israel, just, had, just names and numbers. So it says there's all these, all these, you know, men from this tribe would follow David and this many from this. And there's many lists like this in Scripture. As you go through the Scriptures, you'll find lists of just who, who moved where, who reset where, who followed where, whoever. And occasionally, the writer will add a little bit of a commentary a little bit of a description about those people. Something they feel it's important for the reader to know, and it happens here in this list. Listen to what it says when it comes to the men from one particular tribe. Verse 32. It says, And from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. They understood the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Would you like people to say that about you? That you are someone who understood the times and knew the best course to take? I mean, right now, people would be like, yeah, what's the best course for Israel to take? People would be like, I'd really like to know that. Those kind of people, they stand out. See, because people who know the times, they always seem to say the right thing at the right time. They always seem to know what to say. They always seem to know when to act and when to wait. They, they have, it seems like this just like an advantage on everybody else. They just know how to be appropriate. They know how to, how to live with wisdom in their time. They stand out. Those people, right, those people are standing out. There are people that definitely they do not understand. They're just going along with the masses. You say, like, they're not discerning. They're not thinking. They're just sort of reacting but then there are people who are different. It seems like they stand out. They understand the times. It's different. It's worth noting. Not only do they understand the times, but they know what to do with that information. They know how to apply that in life. And the goal of this series is that we would all learn how to understand the times, that it would said, be said because of us, here we go, the title of our series, that we would know the times. 
This is the, the title of our series, that we would know the times, that it would be said of us, these people understood the times and knew what to do with it. I'm going to explain the image here, like why we have a little, looks like a tattoo, right? Or like a sailor on his forearm or something like that. Like why we have that here. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, look, I am sending you out as sheep among shepherds, I'm sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. There's a lot of animals going on in this verse. A lot of animals. So he says, first, I'm sending out a sheep among wolves. Basically, I'm sending you out like you're at a disadvantage. That's what it sounds like, right? Oh, that's great. We're sheep going into wolves. Oh, wonderful. Lovely. Cannot wait. And what Jesus is saying is that I'm sending you out, and the posture that you're taking is going to be vulnerable. The world will perceive it as weakness. The world is going to perceive that that followers of Jesus, that because you're not coming aggressive, because you're not coming in power, because you're not coming to dominate, to, to attack, because of all those reasons, the world is going to perceive that you are at a disadvantage. But the truth is this is actually your strength. That you don't come with force, but you actually come with gentleness and love. Because you come actually very unthreatening, you're just sheep following a shepherd. That's what I'm sending you out as. But don't forget, you have a shepherd. If you are sheep among wolves, just remember there's a shepherd coming. You're good. And then he says, and because of that, so one, just understand that's the context which, with which I'm sending you. But he's giving you this pro, profound cultural awareness. He says, here's what we're here to do. We're simply help, sent to help Lost sheep, find the shepherd. We're, we're going out as sheep. The world's going to attack you, but all you're going to do is help other sheep find the great shepherd. And this is how you're going to do it. Be shrewd as serpents. Think about snakes. Like, you ever been, like, far off? Be like, oh, here's a snake coming along the way. No, you almost always just like, ooh, like stumble across a snake. It, it catches you off guard because they hide. They are sneaky Okay? Like, we, they're, they're, they're able to get into places. They, 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 are, they know that their strength is in surprise. And they're not out there trying to confront. They're trying to come alongside the back. They're shrewd. Right? They know how to attack. And Jesus is saying, since I'm sending you out there, you've got to think different. You've got to take advantage of every opportunity. Think through this. Be critical. As I'm sending you out, think. Be shrewd. Be cunning. Be smart. But at the same time, do not be self-serving. Be like a dove. Be, be, be as gentle, be as humble. Some say harmless, some say innocent. That your motivation should be for the good of everybody else. You are being shrewd like a snake for the purpose of love. So it's this interesting parallel, this, this play. It seems like they're a contradiction, but it's a paradox, right? They're, they're working together. Hey, be shrewd, but be harmless. You're not there to attack. You're there to help. So use all the cunning, all the wisdom. Don't check your brain. Come smart to culture, but come with love. All right, and so that's why we're using this image. And one historical figure that did this exceptionally well, um, people, like, people like, like this, right, we're going to examine the story as well as a a few others to help see what this looks like. There's somebody who did this really, really well in history. 
And his name was Daniel. I invite you to turn there to the book of Daniel. He was a young Jewish man. If you remember the story of Daniel, when Israel was conquered by the Babylonians, he was a young man taken as a captive back to Babylon. He had grown up in a culture oriented to uh, honoring the ways of God, and now he finds himself in a culture that knows nothing of God. Okay, so again, we've got multiple cultures colliding, multiple things going on, and it's very helpful to hear his story. So I'm going to recap the story of Daniel. You don't have to read it. We're not going to read the whole thing. It says, the Babylonians take all the young Jewish men, just the best looking, just the smartest, the brightest, the healthiest. They train them up for royal service. He's going to come serve the king. They give them new names. They want them to be at their best, so they give them the finest food from the king's own kitchens. And it seems like Daniel, who is a captive in Babylon, he won the jackpot. He's not out in a slave camp somewhere. He's not in a dungeon somewhere. He is actually in the king's palace being given the best accommodations, the best treatment. Like, they're giving him massages. They're giving him, you know, like, he's got a personal trainer. They're, they're giving him the best mentors. He's getting the royal food. He's being exposed to the best of Babylonian culture. And it's important because up until this point, Daniel and his buddies have shown no resistance to the culture. They're getting all this stuff, which is a new culture. They're, they're getting all this stuff. It's a, it's a very secular culture. And they're good with it. They're good with the names. They're good with the, the learning. They're good with the accommodations, with the training, all of this stuff, no issue. Even the name is interesting. Daniel, the name, I know this because it's my name, says God is my judge. That's what it means. They give him a new name, Belteshazzar, which could mean like may that God protect his life or even lady protect the king could be an interpretation. So it could have been trying to like really just mess with him. Hey, we're going to call you lady, protect the king. Um, but he doesn't resist any of it. He's totally okay with that part of the cultural that they're, that they're dumping on him. But un, something happens, and Daniel says, uh, uh, pause. I'm not okay with this. We're going to read that. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. On the screen it says this. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he eat, asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. If you know the story after some back and forth, right, they're, they're giving everybody this great food. They're, they want to be strong, healthy. Daniel's like, uh, you know, pause, can't do that. And uh, on the surface, it's, it's, just, it's interesting. Daniel, uh, he's, after some back and forth, he negotiates. They let him do this. They let him try the diet on like a test trial. And it turns out he looks better and healthier than everybody else. So he's eating like fruits and vegetables and other things. He's not eating the king's, the king's food. And I've shared about this before, and I'm sure you all remember the last time I preached this, right? Everybody remembers everything I've ever said. So um, I could probably preach this message again, and you wouldn't know. Um, I probably wouldn't remember it. On the surface, this seems to be about following Jewish laws, right? Wouldn't that be your first thing, right? That like, okay, this is about he doesn't want to violate the Jewish food laws, so he's saying, okay, I don't want to do that. But that's not what's happening here. Um, because Daniel ate fruits and vegetables, that there's no way possible that they were prepared in a kosher manner. So what he was getting would not have been acceptable anyway. So it wasn't like, this is kosher, that's not. None of it was. So it wasn't about Jewish food laws. Um, it wasn't about food at all. Honestly, we don't know what it was about. <laughs> like, you can, you can study, and researchers will tell you, uh, there's a bunch of different perspectives on here. We don't know why Daniel made this an issue. Later on in his life, he was eating other stuff. He moved on. He, this, was, this was just a time. 
Um, some people say, well, Daniel wanted to prove to himself that, you know, it wasn't, wasn't everything was coming from Babylon. Like, ah, maybe, I don't know. We could, you could guess. But here's the point. We don't know what it was, but we do know this. For whatever reason, it was a matter of conscience for Daniel. We don't know what, but something about it didn't sit right with him. And he said, for some reason, this is not acceptable. I feel like eating that food would be wrong for me. And he said, it's going to defile me. It's going to corrupt my heart if I do that. It's going to do damage to my soul if I eat that. There was something about it, and we don't know what it was. Again, there's all sorts of cultural elements Daniel had no problem with. But for some reason, unknown to us, this one was different, and Daniel said, I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm, I'm not going to do that here. On this one, I have to stand opposed. And here's the point. Here's the point. Right? The whole point of the whole message is this. There are times in our lives when we encounter aspects of culture around us, things that may or not be an issue for other people. Other Jewish young men had no problem eating the food. Other, I mean, other, the, other, the other Jewish men from, from Israel, they're eating that food. That people have no problem. But something inside us flinches. There's something inside that goes, mm. Ooh. and you know, this isn't good for me. It's not good for me. In those moments, we come to a decision point. And here's the question. Will you allow the culture around you to defile your soul, or will you refuse, resist, and stand against it? Will you stay true to what your spirit is saying? See, here's the point. There are times where we'll come into contact with things in our culture. Not all the time, but there are times we'll come and go, ooh, I shouldn't do that. That one's not okay for me. Doesn't matter about anybody else, but that's not okay for me. See, God has given us the gift of a conscience, of his Holy Spirit inside us to guide us in these things. In Romans, Paul tells us that our own conscience and thoughts will either accuse us or affirm us when, when we're doing what we know is right or wrong. That there's something inside that goes, mm, I know, I know. We've talked about this before. That we've got a compass in us. Nobody else can answer this for you. Later, Paul said this. He says, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any human authority. It doesn't matter what you think about me, my, my decisions. It doesn't matter what you think about how I'm living my life. He said this, I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. He said, it is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. See, just like Daniel, like Paul, like everybody else, what matters is what is God saying to you? In that situation, about that circumstance, about that, that cultural confrontation, it goes on inside you. There are times when we need to oppose what is culturally acceptable around us because allowing it would defile something inside us. Here's why this matters so much. Paul gave his young friend Timothy this advice in Timothy 1.9. He says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. We did a series on this shipwreck, if you remember. When we knowingly ignore, when we knowingly ignore the warnings God gives us, we jeopardize our faith. We do damage to our relationship with God. We dismiss him and we grow dull. Samson, it's another example of this. If you know the story of Samson, 
He was dedicated to God, was given supernatural strength to help be a defender of the people when they had no king, and he allowed aspects of the culture to defile him. He did things that he knew were not right. He, he, I mean, hook, line, and sinker, he took the whole thing of the culture and was just letting it sink into his soul, and it corrupted him so much so that we're told when the Spirit of God left Samson, he didn't even know it. He was so desensitized to the things of God because he had chosen to dismiss it for so long. We constantly come in contact with cultural things that we go, mm, mm. And if we ignore it, we'll become less and less sensitive to those things. And they have the potential to corrupt us, to separate us, to desensitize us to the voice of God. Now, I need to pause and share this one thing for balance. Jewish laws are very specific about what foods people can and can't eat. It was ingrained in every young child. It would be deep inside them as adults, right? This is what you can eat. This is what you can't eat. And Peter was one of the disciples that had grown up following them, had never had anything that he had, never broken a dietary law, never eaten anything he wasn't supposed to. And one day he had a dream, and in the dream, this the sheet was lowered down with all sorts of unclean animals and foods, and, and a voice said, take and eat. And he said, no, 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 no. I know the rules. I know what defiles me. I'm not going to eat that. And, the, and it's really interesting what is said back to him. We'll have it on the screen. Acts 10, 14. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. See, it was unclean. It was going to defile them, but God changed it. God changes cultural things. He takes things that formerly were able to defile us, and he says, now I'm going to make this something else. See, in the quest to honor God throughout time, many people have stood opposed to aspects of culture that no longer defile us because God has changed them. Mm. This is, people, um, uh, people, I don't know if you're fully on the same page of what I'm talking about, but there are a lot of people that are going to have problems with what I'm saying right now. Because um, a lot of people hold on to things. Hold on to old cultural norms that they say this can't change but God says do not call unclean what I have changed it's just culture it's just culture it's what I say it is it's not what you've been taught it is it's what I say it is and here's why this is so important it seems noble to people it seems hard I'm going to be really really strict with this it seems like it's more holy to resist culture but it's so unnecessary and here's why it's so important God was teaching Peter a lesson here. This had nothing to do with food. This wasn't about Peter eating anything. It was about people. God was sending Peter to the Gentiles who at that point, Peter couldn't even walk in their house. He had to stay removed from them because those people would have defiled him. And now God is saying, I want to I change the game now. The world is opening. The gospel is for everybody. And Peter, I've got I've to break through those cultural things that you've decided in your mind to expand and say, hey, it's not just what culture says. It's not just what you've been taught culture is. It's what I say it is. 
It's what I say it is. If, don't call something unclean if I make it clean. There may be parts of culture you were taught were dangerous and bad and to be avoided. Now, we need to be careful. We're not advocating reckless behavior, not simply saying, you know, just, hey, all culture, God can redeem it, so just jump into it all and just, you know, go for it. But we need to approach all of culture with total and absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit to say, help me know what this is. God, help me know what this is. If we don't, we may end up opposing things God actually wants to accomplish. God was sending, Peter could have said, God, I I can't do that. Culture says I can't, which means I can't go where you're sending me. I can't do what you're asking of me because I can't go into those places. I'm more concerned about it defiling me than I am concerned about the people that you're sending me to. The power in us is greater than the power in the culture. The power of God in you is greater than the power in any culture. God can send you into anything. Doesn't mean he will, but he can. The point is, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Here we go. So what? So what? How can we tell what elements of culture have the potential to defile us and what parts look like they might but actually won't? How can you tell As you go through your day, how will you know what to stand against, what not to fear? And the simple answer, the key to knowing the times, it's very, very simple. Stay tuned in to the Holy Spirit. Stay tuned in to the Holy Spirit. Listen for God to direct you. Pay attention to your conscience. Let me tell you, if you sense something is not right, Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. You don't have to go along with what everyone else is doing, even in the church. Because Scripture is full of this. It may be right for somebody else and wrong for you. I don't know why God works the way he does, but there are times people say, you can't eat that, you can eat that. You can do this, you can't do that. It's fine for me, not fine for you. It's not about rules. God's doing something in our heart. And He knows us. And He knows what things have the potential to defile us. And He's not doing it just to to be unfair to you. He's not doing it just to limit you because you're weaker. He's saying, hey, I know what's good for you. Trust me. That part of culture is no good for you. When you sense that, Stay tuned in. When I went to college, my dad gave me this advice. It's really, I, thought, I don't know if it was just, I don't know if he had prepared it or if he was just winging it. I have no idea. He said, brush your teeth. Keep your nose clean. Don't be afraid to stand up to an upperclassman who has forgotten what it means to be a Christian. I was like, ooh. And what he was telling me was stay true to your conscience. You know. Just because somebody who you think should know what they're doing has maybe wandered, don't just let them, well, they can, so I can. You answer for you. We need to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. It was Susanna Wesley who said this, whatever 
weakens your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Anything that silences the voice of God, that desensitizes us to his spirit, run from it. Determine not to defile yourself. Stay sensitive to God's voice. When you wake up, say, God, today, help me hear. Help me know. Help me know the times. And as you go through your day, be alert, be aware, be listening. Stay tuned into those promptings. All day long, listen for the Spirit of God to show you what needs to be opposed and what is no longer a threat. God, guard us from unnecessarily condemning things that maybe that's now something you've changed and you're going to work through. We'll talk more about that next week. See, if we'll do that, if we'll walk with God, we will be people who know the times. It'll be said of us, of you and me, that those are people that, man, they know, they know what's right and what's wrong for the moment. They're not bound by tradition, but they haven't rejected it all. They just seem to be appropriate. They know what to do, what to say, when to, when to hold back, when to wait. They just know the times, and they know what to do with that. Culture can be complex and difficult to discern. It constantly changes. Man, culture constantly changes. It's going to be different tomorrow. I can't keep up. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not cool anymore. Like, not even close. I don't even, I don't even know what cool is. It's not even, they don't even say that word. Remember what Jesus said to God the Father. He said, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. We're being sent into this cultural climate at this point in history on purpose. You may go, ah, I'm too old for this culture stuff. Hey, God put you here. He puts you in this culture, in this mix of cultures at this point in history for a reason. He says, you have what it takes to be salt and light in this world. But you've got to listen to me. You've got to listen to me. God makes no mistakes. He is perfect. We are sent to help people find Jesus. We're sheep among wolves, shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. We need to be people who understand the times. I want to close in prayer. What we're going to do is we're just going to ask God to help us sense his Holy Spirit. And if you've never really engaged the Holy Spirit or, you know, really just kind of talk about it, but you haven't maybe taken this step, I just want to invite you to say, hey, Holy Spirit, help me. Not make me weird. Some people hear that when they hear Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, make me weird. No. Just, Holy Spirit, help me know the times. Help me be culturally appropriate. So we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to do that. Again, there's all sorts of church culture here. Some churches will say, hey, stand up, raise your hand, come to the altar. It's all part of just cultural responses. You can do whatever you want. 
But we're going to pray. We're going to invite God to make us people who know the times. We can't go through this life desensitized to the Spirit of God and do anything productive for Him. Everything comes because of our relationship with God, and that's got to be constant and daily. Not just one hour or an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. So let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, right now, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our lives. Would you help us know the times? Lord, you know all things. You understand culture better than anybody has ever understood culture. You understand the mix of it all, how it's shaped us, how it's formed us, the good, the bad. You can redeem it all. Lord, more than anything, you know the times. We can't figure it out. We're not that smart. So we invite you to lead us step by step, moment by moment, day by day. That's all we need. We just need to follow you. And you will guide us. So God, we confess right now the times we've not listened. Perhaps the times we've ignored those promptings and we've said, ah, it'll be fine. I see somebody else doing it. It's no big deal. Forgive us for those times we've allowed culture to corrupt and defile and Lord, limit your voice in our lives. Please forgive us. Now, Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear you all day long, hearts to sense you, minds to comprehend you, Lord. Let us be tuned in, Lord. Let it not just be there popping up, invading us, but let us be looking for it, listening for it, tuned into it, Lord, pursuing your spirit, constantly seeking it. Right where you're at, I just, if this is a step you want to take, invite the Holy Spirit right now. Say, God, give me your spirit today. Help me to know the times. Not just to be appropriate so people like us, let us be wise so we can lead people to you. That in the midst of this, you are sending us into this world. Sheep among wolves. But it's our opportunity to come gently with love that truly conquers all. Lord, let us be shrewd and wise. Let us be sincere and loving. Holy Spirit, move in our lives today. Fill us up. Anything in us that doesn't belong, any resistance, any fear, Lord, remove it. You're not a God who comes in to do harm. You're not a God who comes in to take over, to, to make us robots. You come in to make us the most appropriate, most loving, most wise people on the planet so that we can do good forever. Thank you.